0: Welcome back to Kids Brain Detectives. I'm Dr. Jennifer Morrison, your host. I can't wait to share this week's episode. Welcome back to Parenting Pointers. This is Dr. Morrison and Dr. Caldwell. And the topic for this segment is empowerment. And this is a super broad concept because it could cover a lot of different parenting territory. So we are going to use a little bit of our parent selves and a little bit of our psychologist selves to talk about what part of the parenting process is most helpful when we're trying to to create humans that feel confident, capable, and are empowered to do the things that they're best at. And so that's where we're going to start. So what does being empowered mean?
1: So really what I when I think of empowerment, I think of um, we may not have control over what's going on around us, what's happening in the world, what's happening in different settings with our kids, but what we do have control over is the conversations that we're having in the home how we're interacting with our children and how we're helping, what lens we're helping them see out of when they process the world around them.
0: So can we talk a little bit about bias for just a second? Like the process of having a perspective because of what you expose yourself to, right? So if you've ever done any reading or watching on the concept of how social media runs its stuff, and I know it sounds like we're going off kilter, but we're not. They run on a series of computer algorithms, right, that take the things that you've watched before and then it forces into your social media account or your Netflix options or your YouTube videos, the things that are closely aligned with the things that you have watched before. So in essence, what it's doing is creating an information cocoon for you to be able to see and hear and be encountering things that are familiar to you because they're similar to things you've already watched.
1: Sounds creepy, right? It
0: does sound a little bit creepy because essentially what you're doing is creating an alternate worldview for yourself. You're creating this place where... All of the information that you are consuming tells the same story, but it doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. So if we're in a situation where we're trying to build little humans that have the ability to be powerful in their world, this means that we also have to think about how the messages that they're receiving from The videos that they're watching, their conversations with their friends, the things you're watching on the news or the conversations you're having at the dinner table are creating a lens through which they see the world. And whether, secondarily, the lens that you're creating is one that puts them in a position of strength and competence and capability, or if it puts them in a place where there's fear. And there's a need to hide and there's a need to self-protect. Like if those messages from the things that we're surrounding ourselves with are filtering over into the way that our children are being surrounded by information too.
1: And we're not necessarily talking about the Pollyanna approach here, right? Like, oh, everything is great. It's all fine. No worries. Right. We don't want our kids in a, we don't
0: want them in a bubble. We don't want them to delusionally not be aware of what's going on in the world, but We also want to be in a situation where we're helping our kids be in contact with things that they can be change agents for, things that they can be in control of. So what kinds of things can our kids actually be in control of?
1: I think it depends on the age, right?
0: Sure. So what can your, you have two and four-year-olds at your house. What can your two-year-old be in charge of? What can they, (laughs) what can he be in control of?
1: He can be in control of what he wears. Sure, he can be in control of what books he wants to read. Okay, he can be somewhat in control of choices between foods. Mm -hmm. That that about sums it up for a two year old.
0: Well, he can choose his behaviors. That's true too. He can choose what toys he plays with. He can choose how he starts a conversation with you. He can choose um, how he responds to certain things that are happening around him. I think a lot of times we think about even our littlest kids as as needing other people to control a lot of the things that they've got going on. So the this segment is not necessarily talking about control and not control. This is a segment that's focused on how we help our kids see where they can be powerful. So in situations like that, allowing your two-year-old to make some choices about his pajamas or which book you're going to read at bedtime or um, which food he eats on his plate first, you know, or whatever, all of those things are the baby steps, literally the baby steps toward empowering our kids to powerfully be able to take a look at the decision-making process. And pick and choose. But the underlining part of that is that they have to have the right perspective, the right attitude for those choices to recognize that they are actually powerful in those moments. So if we're talking about worldview, we're talking about a world that's got it's got some heavy stuff going on.
1: Especially lately. It just feels very heavy. Right. Often.
0: We're like two plus years into a world pandemic, we've had some major changes with the perception of safety around us. Like imagine pre-COVID, the thought of freely going into a store and being able to feel that you are relatively safe from the people around you to shifting drastically to a place where you have to cover your face. They have to cover their face because we're literally not safe to one another anymore.
1: Right. And kids growing up with that. And I mean right. mine don't know anything different. Because Absolutely they were so young when it started.
0: Whereas mine know the freedom of of not having to have protected themselves. And now the secondary fear of this is a level of protection I didn't know needed to happen. Right. Sort of like the first time you you get to a situation where someone steals from you. The first time somebody takes a package off your front porch or takes the takes your purse, or one time my sister, sorry, sister. Um, was filling up at the gas station and left her car unlocked while she was putting gas in her car and someone snuck around the side of her car, opened the door and took her stuff while she was standing there next to her car. So there's a sense of kind of violation that comes from that, that makes you feel weak. It makes you feel vulnerable. And sometimes this messaging carries over into our kids as well, because we're surrounding them with war and pandemic and, and disease and, and
1: storm, you know, natural disasters, right? All of it.
0: They're exposed to all of these things. And to a certain extent, you, I think as a parent, I would love to be able to put my kids in this protective bubble and, and to help them feel safe by not exposing them. But really what we're wanting to do is to help them recognize that although the world is a dangerous place, that at the same time, those good things that are hiding there. They may be in the shadows. It might not be quite so apparent are things that we can figure out too. Like for instance, my husband works in the fire service. And so we've been in a situation with COVID where protection of frontline workers was a big deal. Like he I could switch to virtual services. I can still see patients and provide care through a screen, but you can't do that when you're a no. firefighter. And so you head off into a situation where you can't protect yourself the same way because you can't insulate yourself. But what my the message that my kids learned was he's on a, a more frontline situation, but he's also helping create a situation where people are are now having access to medical treatment, they now have access to vaccinations and the opportunities to protect themselves if that's the choice that they make for themselves. So instead of this is an unsafe world, now you have to cover your face, now you have to protect yourself, the message is this is how we can help one another recover through this. This is how we can help one another be powerful in the face of these things. This is how we can arm ourselves by surrounding ourselves with tools and resources and things that can be helpful.
1: And identifying the people out there and basically celebrating the people that are out there as helpers. I think Daniel Tiger, which is what goes on in my home a lot of the time, (laughs) talks about find your helpers. And so a fireman is a helper. Um, Medical providers are helpers. Showing them I think it's hard for us to completely censor our kids, especially older ones from news and from what's going on. They hear about it. And so that is a narrative that does play out at home and it's, it's an important one, but I think it's also important to talk about what can we do about this? What are you seeing around you being done about this? Where, where are the people that are helping? What's, what's going on? There's been research that's, that has shown that I think this year and last there's more and more, evidence of people helping other people in various ways, helping strangers, not people they know. And so basically seeing it through that lens as well, so that kids feel less helpless and more empowered. And you can also kind of do a gratitude plug in there that this is this is an opportunity to see the things around us that we could be grateful for and to focus on those things more than we focus on the hard you know, the heart and the tragedy and and all of that.
0: Well, I think we're talking about big like super big picture, bad stuff at this point, right? We're talking yeah. about pandemics. We're talking about natural disasters. We're talking about big things, you know, school shootings and other things that are huge, massive impacts. But I think that even at a smaller scale level, the same holds true. I mean, when, when we're reviewing now the research that comes out of social media and, and impacts on mental health, it's not because kids are looking at a screen, it's not because kids are reading messages, it's not because kids are watching too many videos. It is the attitude of those it those the content. Right, it's what the comments are, it's what the videos show, it's what those messages are that we are allowing our kids to marinate in, so to speak. The question then is if the problem is not media, right? Because we grew up with media surrounding us right. as well. It's not the It it may be quantity related to a certain extent, like how much there's more of it. We're in a technology age that far surpasses the amount of technology that was there before. So definitely quantity is a factor. But I think more so what we're talking about when we look at empowerment as a mechanism is the quality. And not just is it high quality, but what is the underlying message that comes here? Is it one of pessimism? Is it one of blame and shame is it one where we're talking about negative messages and that this is what our kids are steeping themselves in because ultimately if we go from a bad place, bad person standpoint when we're describing the world to our kids, they will believe That's those the messages lens that
1: they're going to view the world out of
0: absolutely so really i think and Back to your, it's definitely not a Pollyanna view because you can't keep your kids in a bubble. And as much as we would love for our kids to be all pencil and paper and never have access to the internet and videos that we can't control and content that we can't control, what we can discuss is how to interpret those pieces of information. And we can be in the same place when our kids are watching things and say, I'm seeing this, but, you know, sort of like a conversation that I had with my kids one time watching a kid's sitcom we were watching a show on tv and it's you know kids the same age as my kids in a live action show and these kids were being really sassy, like uh, that's, and it's not just a Texas word, I'm sure, but, it, but, <laughs> but they were being disrespectful to one another and to the adults around them. And it was meant to be playful because it's a show, but really, you're All right, I'm cringing the whole time. Like, oh gosh, that's not the the role model that I want for my kids. But the conversation that came out of that was really important because it went a little something like this. Hey, I know that this is funny. You know why it's funny? What makes it funny is because it's it's a little bit on the uncomfortable side because you know you couldn't get away with that, right? Oh, yeah. No, I couldn't say something like that to you. Why? Why couldn't you say something like that? Well, in our house, we don't call names like that. That's right. Why don't we call names like that? You know, like where we go down that rabbit hole of... What are our core values? Right. How does this come back to who we are as a person? And does that does that help us build connections with other people or not? And does that help us come from a position of power that's driven from a strong self-esteem, a strong sense of capability, a strong ownership of what we can and should be doing? Or does that power come from pushing other people down? And, And those are two different kinds of power. One is dominance and one is an internal empowerment of self, which is the part that we're trying to talk about here, right? How we build people around us up by showing them the light that shines in the darkness sometimes. Right. So it may be that that tornado was a terrible thing and it knocked out whole neighborhoods, but at the same time, we have churches and communities and other individuals gathering together to bring water and supplies and materials. We had a tornado that came through Dallas a couple of years ago and it was pretty bad and it was about a mile from our house and it was close like super close and it could have been something where we hidden our homes and were just really glad it wasn't us which is a completely true thing but as a family what we did is got in our truck and took some chainsaws and you know work gloves and we went to a mile away where it had you know taken down people's homes and helped them clear things cut down trees and stack them up out of the way so they could get cars in and out and to clear debris from their homes so that they could have a place to be. And, and to look around and to see the other families that were doing the same thing was a real powerful experience when it could have been one that was driven by fear. Look at all of these bad things that could have happened. Right. It was followed up by, look at these things where from an outreach standpoint, we have the ability to help other people. Right. And I think that that's where, when we talk about the power that comes from this process that it really comes from parents helping kids see the good, the good in themselves, the good in other people, and to be intentional in sharing that.
1: And teaching them. I I love what you said about the, the sitcom, and it's teaching them to be wise consumers of information, sure. that's media, and that's everything else. And so, instilling in them those core values, talking about them on a regular basis, and then also talking about the incongruencies of, okay, well, you saw this on YouTube, and this person was acting in this way. How did that make you feel? Well, it made me feel uncomfortable because that they, those were not nice things that were being said. And so, that there's a fine line there because. The more of that stuff that we consume, the more it normalizes to us. And so we don't want our kids consuming a lot of, you know, negative media where there's bullying or putting other people down because then it normalizes that. Sure. But I do think it's important for them to have those experiences where they see those things and they go, hey, this doesn't really, this doesn't really align with what I believe or this. Sure. And and, in teaching them that I think is important.
0: Well, it's sort of like knowing the lyrics of a song where there's curse words and, that your kids can sing along and pause during the curse words, right? <laughs> like what we're talking about is that there is there are things that are not ideal, that are not in line with our family values, that are not consistent with what we as um, parents want our children to, to do. But we also at the same time know that we can't stick them in a bubble and save them from these experiences. Because if we did, gosh, would their 20s be horrible, right? To get to the place where you shift them out of their egg into the world and they are no longer in a place right, where you can run interference and block things for them. So part of this process is to help kids know that there is some dark in the world while at the same time highlighting the light and the positives that come from that. And when we know for sure that our kids are experiencing situations where They are seeing either role models or experiences that are not in line with their core family values that you stop and you don't just say, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's a funny thing. Everybody thought that was funny that you stop and backtrack and really help kids through that thought process so that they come out of it with a perspective to recognize that things work differently for other people. Sometimes that the rules are different for other people sometimes, and that the things that we focus on are the things that we can control. We can't make the world not be dangerous sometimes. We can't control other people's behavior, but we can control our reactions and how we think about things and how we conceptualize the world around us as being both good and bad.
1: And that's where we find our empowerment, right? It's what we focus on and what we can control.
0: Sure, absolutely. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Parenting Pointers and a little talk on empowerment. We can't wait to share more with you moving forward. Welcome to this week's Bond, Build, and Connect tip. This BBC tip is called Mirror Listening. So most people are familiar with the concept of active listening, and this is when you are in a conversation with someone, and to help that process be as successful as possible, you show signs of obvious connectedness for the other person to feel heard. So, this is a situation where you maintain eye contact. You may nod your head. You may gesture some you know, facial expression changes or other nonverbal communication that you are with them. You may make receiving remarks like, mm, uh huh, oh, really? And respond to what they're saying. This is active, you listening and responding to show that you are connected to this moment. What we're going to call mirror listening is a way to help others in conversation with you to feel more than simply heard. This is a way for parents to help their children and truly for anybody else that you talk to to feel understood. For our kids, the process of building this I get you feel is really important when we are trying to bond and build relationships that are lifelong. We, as parents, if you're anything like me, talk at our kids or to our kids all the time. But there are fewer instances when a child seeks a parent out and chooses to talk to them in return. We are usually the ones that are making an overture. And when our kids reach out to us, a lot of times they're asking for assistance, asking for help, asking for permission. What we're trying to focus on is the moments when we are not serving as a tool to help your child out. They're just sharing information with you. These moments don't happen as often, so we need to make these moments count. To do so, When you notice that your child has brought something to you to discuss and they don't need anything from you, they just want you to hear them talking and understand, set distractions aside, put your phone away, pause other intrusions like a sibling jumping in, and really focus on what's being said. The mirror part is to pretend that you are reflecting your child and their words. So say with your body, And your face by by directly looking at them, rotating your shoulder so that you're facing your child like a reflection in a mirror would look. So if you are standing in front of a mirror, your reflection doesn't turn sideways while you're facing forward. It stays connected with you. Help them know that you are with them by restating and clarifying what they have said. So the active listening process of "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh to receive a message is not what we're talking about. So this is something like, for instance, my son came home from baseball practice and his asthma has been really flared up. And he was talking with me about how he had wanted to do well, but his chest was hurting and it was harder for him to breathe and how frustrated he was because he was having an excellent practice. So my responses are things like, oh, I understand how that must feel. I had asthma when I was a kid and I had things like that happen all the time. Or I bet that was frustrating because you were trying so hard and it felt like such hard work. Things that allow your child to hear that you are understanding their message. Finally, in situations like this, oftentimes what we as parents do, and I am at fault for this a huge amount of the time, because of the work that I do, I spend a lot of time solving problems for others or at least attempting to give my best professional effort at that. Something that we need to think about when we're interacting with our kids, especially if we want to connect with them, is that it's not always required for us to jump in and fix things. So if there is a problem, instead of saying, oh, you got in a fight with your friend, you should do this and this and this to solve the situation, which sounds like a lesson that they probably need to know, But if what we're trying to do is build an understanding and empathic connection between our kids and ourselves, that we have belief in their ability to problem solve as well. So instead of being the first to lead, I would highly recommend that you ask growth questions like, Ooh, that sounds like a tricky one. What's the next step? Or what's your plan here? And stay to support them through that process. It may not have been an approach that you would have chosen. It may be an approach that ultimately fails. But the process of building self-esteem and developing an identity that allows a child to feel like they are capable of handling adversity and being resilient in the face of these kinds of situations, especially those that are stressful or disappointing, or related to conflict, is to help them think through what processes might be there. So our job as parents, if we're going to use this BBC tip to its fullest, is to remove distraction, make sure we're staying with them, making good eye contact, reflecting back the things that they're saying by restating and clarifying, and allowing them To step through the problem-solving process while we walk with them, not pick them up and run with a plan that we've come up with that we think makes sense in an adult way. This is something that allows your child to develop a communication method with you that's open and sharing. Oftentimes, if we jump in with a fix, it shuts that down because they know that you are going to take over from there. If we're talking about a five-year-old that we want to be a fully successful 25-year-old at some point, they're going to need to problem solve for themselves. What better time than now to get started? Hope this mirror listening is helpful for you and your family this week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Kids Brain Detectives. We hope you enjoyed your time here with me, Dr. Morrison, and my colleague, Dr. Katie Caldwell. We sure enjoyed talking with you and look forward to talking with you again soon. Check out the show notes and we'll catch you next time.